0: Imagine you were at the hub uh, downtown, the coffee shop, and uh, or one of the coffee shops locally. You were sitting there minding your own business, and um, someone walked up to your table, and they looked at you and they said, "The genus of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus." <laughs> now. To me, if that happens to you here in Danville or something, you're sitting at the hub and that happens to you, you're, you I figure you, you have one or three options, right? I mean, one option you might think somebody from the uh, mental health level at Ephraim maybe has slipped out and they're walking around in the hub, right? Maybe something odd like that has happened. Or um, maybe... Uh, A guy uh, recognized you, you looked familiar with someone he saw in the library last week, and they were talking about um, wildlife and what the Latin word for uh, the origin or the genus of ducks was, and he saw you and remembered and could remember and said, Oh, I just want to tell you, I got it. The histrionicus, the histrionicus, he'd let you know. Or, I mean, maybe he's a spy, and you were his contact, and you got it wrong, and that was their code. Mr. Anika to let you know that you were his contact. I don't know. The point is this. In order to understand the purpose of what that person just said to you is, is that you have to put it in the right context. You have to know the story. What is the story? I don't have a story for you for what it is. But you can see, you, unless you come up with the right story and understand what happened, you might call the cops you might get them in a headlock and wrestle them down in that. You, you may, I don't know what you might do. But the important thing, and the point is this, is that you must know the story in order to stand what's going on. It must be put in the right place. That statement must. Well, that's what I hope that we're trying to do with work and your vocation. That uh, people, that we are trying to put your work and, our, and vocation, our vocations in the right story. Because when you put it in the right story, then everything makes sense. And hopefully uh, the problem is that we're realizing as a church is that we oftentimes put our vocations and work in the wrong story. That we don't think of them. We think of it this way, that the real story of God that's going forth or the only story that's going forth is always centered around the church and the activities within the church. And we don't understand that God's, uh, from the beginning, and his design for the way this world to flourish and for human beings to bear his image in this world is to be workers. That our God was a worker and to bear his image. Now the church is an integral part now And it has its role But we've been trying to help our church And if you're visiting with us this morning For the last two weeks We've put verses up in front of you That say um, uh, let your light shine before men So that you may see their good works We've been looking at that those works Actually are ergon in the Greek uh, Actually mean carry the weight Of the idea of vocational business type things It's a broader not just spiritual good works Where you're nice to people Or that you evangelize them That's central to the way God and our creator Asks to bring flourishing to this world is by his image bearers working well. That's what he does. As a matter of fact, even at the heart of, of uh, why we want to educate those children in India, why, so they might bear his image well and have opportunities, not necessarily to be missionaries, so that they may move into the world and bear his image, which we've looked at. Remember that only one of the tribes were priests. The other 11 were uh, all kinds of trades and all kinds of things. And that ought to tell you that the way God thinks about the world is not through the few like me, but through the majority. He puts his chips on God's people going forth and bearing his image and ruling and subduing, the world. So, that's where we are. We must understand the story. And um, uh, that story, if rightly understood, is what we call, and I don't think I have a slide for this, is creation. fall. Maybe one way to summarize the story of the Bible is that God created the world. The sin came to the world. The fall, there's redemption, and there's restoration. And we looked at last week, we, the first week, we looked at the origins of work and kind of surveyed it to see that it was central to all that God was doing. It always has been. Um, and then also uh, last week we saw the purposes of work, the unique purposes of work. And we walked away last week saying, hey, um, you ought to examine uh, two or three of these. We all have, but some of these purposes of work, not, are we, some of us do more of than the others. And we processed how our purposes are to bring shalom flourishing into the, into the world. And so when someone asks me, how's your church doing? I shouldn't only think as a pastor, well, here's how we're attending Bible studies. Very important. I also ought to think, how are my people working and bearing his image in their field and in their vocations in whatever domain you've been given to rule over, whether to stay-at-home mom, no matter what the field, no matter what, uh, how many of the tasks may seem or great you think the task is, that God's central view of his creation is that man would be working in it. All right, so uh, this morning, what we're going to finish with our work as we kick off into the Proverbs uh, next week, and Kevin kicks us off, is that we're going to finish our, ser- our part here on work in Genesis and look at the idea of how does our faith impact work seen in the last two parts, redemption. And restoration, meaning God has redeemed, Christ has come. How should our faith actually affect us in the day in, day out working of our work? If work is a major part of what we're be, to do in the world, then how should it necessarily affect us? And how is, it, how is it seen? How does the redemption part of the world story and the restoration, that one, what we're headed for as God's people, when Jesus will come, how should that inform us? Uh, and affect our work so our outline cool, real fast will be dignity it brings dignity and uh, a compass it brings strength and it brings hope dignity it brings compass strength and hope let me pray father would you uh, again reorient us to your purposes and the centrality of work and your, the, the very essence of who you are that you're a worker that you made us in your image and that work is a very 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 central part of the story of what it means to be human and God, would you continue to reorient us? Will you reorient me as a pastor? Would you reorient my language and the way I think about things? Would you begin to help me to see it more biblically, the, through the, the true lens of the Bible, through the creation story? And, but Lord, as we last week, as we got some understanding from the fall, would you also this morning help us to begin to see the redemption? What does it mean now in this fallen world? What does Christ's redemption mean for my work, and how can it help me? Would you help us to do that? Would you help us uh, right now that... Uh, many of the vocations and maybe even the um, <laughs> Labor Day couldn't have come soon enough for many of us in vocations. And very, at this very moment, there are people who are miserable in their jobs. They are not sure if they're in the right place. They have relational strife and uh, the finances may not be paid enough. There is so much brokenness and struggle around work. And so I pray that your people, as we, then as we come to this table today, would we be strengthened to bear your image. To rule and subdue and have dominion over this place in a way that's redemptive and connected and in you. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. So we'll look at this, and as you see our passage, just so you know, we normally do expository type preaching where we where we typically take a passage and let the passage dictate the outline and the points to be made and connect to the scriptures. Work's a little harder to do. We're kind of approaching this topically. So I'm not going to just break down the passages for you this morning. Uh, If you're wondering, church history, most churches... uh sermons were done topically, where they take a topic and they go into the Bible and try to bring it out. But so this morning, it's not more right or more wrong to do either the way. We prefer the expository way, but we're just going to look at it just topically, and I'm just going to highlight a few points from the verse, if that makes sense. So you'll see here uh, in the story, we see the fall. And what I want you to read in Genesis 3:17 to 19 is this. You see uh, right before that, you'll remember uh, that the woman had received the curse, what had sin brought, and it would make childbearing very difficult for her. Next fall, we'll look at family and how family is central to what it means to bring grace to a city. And God's family is central to that. But here we also learn that work is central in the creation story. And Adam, work is cursed for him. So notice, we'll read it, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So here's what it means. Work is not cursed, but the ground, the very task, the thing that we're given, God's earth in Genesis 1, is actually cursed. It's working against us. And basically just from, if I can just put it in layman terms, it just roams our dome, all right? <laughs> that's what it means, that it's, it doesn't do as it should, and it's always pushing back. There's a reason that you and I have a pit in our stomach on Tuesday morning when we start to work a little bit or things, because we know things don't go as they should, and that the ground is cursed, and it's difficult, and by the sweat of the brow is the very way we work. So think about that. It's very, very difficult. So that's the fall. We talked about that last week, but then notice what we didn't read, we will see this verse here, is that redemption does come. And we see signs of redemption already, although sin is coming to the world. And look at verse 20 and 21 in Genesis, the very next two verses. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. All right, so now they're in the garden. They've sinned and gotten in Eden. We looked at it last week, and now they're going outside the garden. But for God, before God sends them back out, to do the very task again, to rule and subdue, which is going to be hard because it's going to be cursed, we see the first foreshadowing of Christ, one of the first foreshadowings. You see that? You see that they're covered with an animal skin. Before they'd been fig leaves, but they're covered with a skin. How do you get a skin? You kill an animal. What comes out of an animal? Blood. And in order for us to be, in order for us to function in the world and to do what God's called us to do, now we need a covering, a covering for our soul. We need to be redeemed from the inside out. And covered by Christ. And so this is foreshadowing. Now we know that one day that the real skin that will cover us, the real animal that will cover us, the real lamb that we sang about will be Christ. And now we go back into the workforce and you and I go into the workforce redeemed, made new. If you're a follower of Christ, you're covered now by God and his grace in order to re-engage in your calling. Uh, and you can do it in a, in a, now as a redeemed person. So um, let me just see 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and hear the idea of being redeemed. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A very famous verse, A verse one of the first verses I memorized. So when someone becomes a Christian, you're a new creation. You have now been redeemed. You are covered with Christ uh, the way Adam and Eve are covered with the lambskin. Blood made them right with God. You, If you're a follower of Christ, you're made right with him. And so now you head out and of the world redeemed. But when you think about the new creation, do you think about new create I'm a new creation to do my work well? I think most of the time people think I'm a new creation, now I can study my Bible, now I can pray, and now I can and you do. You think of the spiritual disciplines, but it means you're a new creation to work as well. Alright? And so God's redemption comes to all things, to us, and his redeeming work comes to all things. And so let me just Read a few verses here. This a little overwhelming to see them on the screen. But I just want you to see that God is redeeming work through his people because he's redeemed his people. If he redeems fallen people and they become Christians and they're there to bear jimmy's and work, then he's redeeming work through them. All things and work itself is being redeemed and being more used. So here's some of the verses. Created by God, by him all things were created. We looked at that, Colossians 1.16. He continues to exist with the Christ. Colossians 1.17. Do you think that he right now, Colossians 1 tells us he's holding all things together by the power of his word. In him all things hold together. Do you think that right now he is holding your work and your vocation together by the power of his word? Not just everything else, all things, including your work. He's caused by God, works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of God's will applies to your work. He's working that out according to the counsel of his will. Whatever your job may be, he's working that out, a counsel to the, according to his will. Christ is making work new. Behold, I'm making all things new. Revelation 21.5, all things new, not just Things you think within the church or outside, he's making work, whatever part of your life he's making work. When we work, we're to do it for the glory of God. He works all things together for good, for God's children, all things, including your job and your vocation. So you can see where I'm going. I don't want to belabor the point. Do you see that the scriptures, when we read them, learn to read those promises into your vocation. That's where most of your life is. So breathe those in. We're not to grumble. Do all things without grumbling. Philippians 2, 14. Don't grumble about work. It means all things, including your work. So, so if he is doing this redemptive all things to our work, a few things, and so then it ought to be affecting. This redemption that you and I have in Christ should be affecting us. The first one we said in our outline was to help you see and believe that all work has dignity. All work has dignity. If I were to tell you there were a new best-selling book on the market, and the title of that book is uh, The Kind of Man God Uses, what would come to mind? What kind of man would you see on the cover of that? What kind of vocation would you think that man would have? Would you think missionary? Would you think, okay, what if I were to say, okay, it's a professional or someone with a job. What job would you put in, put that person on the cover of the book to be? Well, one of the things God's redemption does is it brings dignity to all professions, all work, all tasks. brings it to all of them. And in Psalm 8, when it talks about the fingerprints of God and creation, uh, Martin Luther said that the fingerprints, he began to think throughout the Reformation, began to think about the fingerprints, meaning how food gets to our table and how things operate. God is bringing that. But he doesn't bring it just because he beep, it shows up. He brings it through the working of God's people, right? So I recently flew to Columbia, and, uh, and I'm amazed uh, just by the idea of flying. I mean, you ever thought about how big that, piece of chunk of metal is and you're going in the air and all of us are in it and we're eating and functioning and watching movies now and all that thing but have you ever just thought about what it takes for that to happen? okay, just for what, what the airline industry has done to make the world small and things that can happen we can get from here to there and transport and all that. But So in order to fly to Columbia, right, there's a website that you go to now and someone, there's an IT person who's designed this website to go through all the steps to do that. MasterCard and Visa have figured out a way for you to pay and to join them in that and you pay that. There's all kinds of guys from those companies who have designed all that just so I can click on a button because I want to go to Columbia with my sons for a summer missions trip. They're probably uh, in a building, when I get to the airport, I look at the building there and I think about all the things that are built and it's uniquely that these airplanes are designed to pull up where the building actually matches and they have these big things that go out to it. Who designed those? Who made those? Who's working on them? Who's actually doing that? Who was, who was, uh, who was making sure that the uh, IT guy wasn't, you know, off uh, doing something crazy when he was making the website that I make sure I wind up in Columbia? I mean, as you start going through the list of what it takes for human beings to help this world flourish, Right? I look out the window, and I see those brakes come up on the wings, which we were on the wings because we had cheap seats or whatever, you know, I guess. But we look out, and I see the bolts in there and the wires and all these integral things. And I'm like, who made those? I hope he was paying attention, right? I mean... Is that bolt on? Who made the bolt? Who made the threads on that thing to make sure it sticks? And who makes sure that that wing doesn't come off? I mean, it takes somebody to do that. And by the way, all these companies that make those, they need janitors, they need food, they need electricity, they need somebody. They need bosses to make sure. I mean, I'm, I'm going 90 to nothing, I know. But do you see the point? From the smallest to the greatest of tasks, God's fingerprints of making this world function is unbelievably beautiful. And when you begin to see that we're image bearers and God made us in his image and we're to do work and work is at the center of that, then we don't play the comparison game about which work is more important or less important. As Christians, we say my identity is I'm image bearer. And if we take it further than that, of course you should do your work excellently. But all of a sudden, we're getting into the game of which ones are more important. That's the way it makes everything. If you're you're a Christian, you're image-bearer, it matters whether you're sweeping the floor or whether you're cleaning the house or whether you're flying the plane. It matters to help this world flourish. That's why I'm okay, told the street sweepers to sweep it, as to the Lord. Until we see the dignity of just work, I mean, it is, until we see the dignity of just work in and of itself bears the image of God, we begin to not only measure it by white collar, blue collar, income, low income, high income, the dignity of what God designed it to be demands that we see all of it equally. And when you begin to do that, now all of a sudden if you're a worker, you, people have great dignity that you talk to in all kinds of fields. And it brings it to bear. Um, there's no class snobbery. And um, So what does it mean if you're uh, the last one other thing I'll say? If your work has great dignity, then it matters that you do it well. We do it for the glory of God. So, you know, if you add, I, I think one of the books, I've read numerous books from Keller, Todd Lutz, uh, uh, Heidi Unas, a bunch of books. I can't tell you where all my stuff's come from. I, I'm not, I don't think anything's original today, by the way. But you know, uh, I think it's Keller that it says, um, how, do, how does a pilot, airplane pilot, do his job well? He lands the plane, right? <laughs> what does the teacher do? She teaches the curriculum well. Why? Because it has great dignity and worth, and it brings flourishing to God's people. So that's the dignity it has. Our faith brings dignity to all jobs. So students, children, you in school, your work right now is, uh, is, tells us that it is to be in school. And so it matters it matters because it has great dignity. Because you are an image bearer, that you grow. It tells us in, in, uh, in uh, and and what is it? Luke two fifty two that Jesus Himself grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor of man. That He was learning and growing. Children, it matters. It has great dignity and worth that you become a learner, and work at that. God cares about it. So the other couple of things that it gives us as we come to the Lord's table is this, is it does, our faith does give us a compass. It gives us a moral compass to figure out what to do, and we need that. And so, you know, if you've come to faith and you're a hit man, you know, I mean, you murder people for it, that should stop, right? It gives you a moral compass. and then But bring that to bear, uh, so it tells you what fields bring flourishing and peace to that, but also our faith also gives us a moral compass in a world that has no moral compass right now. And so our ethical decisions and what it means, even what our business is doing, it matters how we treat people, the decisions we make, the morality we make. One of the, When you read, begin to read there, that, uh, it is that morality has left many, some of the higher financial institutions, just saying the bottom line is to make money. And there's no ethics to it. And so we have a moral compass, and there is a right or wrong. That's what our faith does bring to that, and how we do it. No matter what your field would do, there's a way, there's a way to do it, and it's um, is it morally right, and what's right and wrong. The other thing is just uh, our faith brings, and, um, and I just don't have time to explain this much, but it does bring strength. The first thing it brings for you is a dignity to your work. The second thing our faith brings to us in the day in, day out, is a compass to make decisions right or wrong. And the third thing it does is it brings strength for the war within us, all of us, to over-identify with our work or run away from it. It brings strength inwardly to fight that curse that I just read. And that curse is one of two things. We'll be so successful and that we'll think way too highly of ourselves and we'll think we did it. And we'll attach ourselves to it, and we'll look down on other people, and we'll think our job makes us better than others, and we'll do like in, in um, maybe think about in Daniel four, where Nebuchadnezzar said wanted the whole nation to come and see what he had built and say, "Look what I built!" Or maybe in Genesis eleven, where they were building uh, building a tower to God. Why for themselves? To say what well, was great about themselves. So you will do great things and think so highly of yourself, and. Um, and think that it makes you an expert on everything, by the way. So it's so funny. Have you ever seen that people become really, really good in their field, and all of a sudden people expect them to be great in every other field, as if you're an expert? That's the way the human heart goes. You walk around and think, well, uh, I, I am the best, um, uh, I don't know, best NBA player in the world, and therefore I must be an expert on everything else. Or maybe I am, uh, I've made uh, X amount of money in my field, and therefore I must be an expert on everything. Do you see By the way, like Andy Fry, he's a great coach, and he and Rick Fox, and they're good at football, really, really good at football. And I just want to tell you, you think you know a lot about football. I think I know you don't know as much as they do. They're experts in those fields. But Andy and Rick don't walk around. They don't think they're electricians and fixing everything, right? (laughs) In the sense that that, um, but the way we relate to our jobs, we really go over the edge and think too highly of ourselves when we, uh, we don't relate to it. And the gospel and redemption brings strength to appropriately relate to those and say, what I'm good at, I'm good at because God made me that way, and I'm not good in everything, and that's okay. That's why I need everyone else. But then uh, also the failure. It also, the, the gospel and redemption prevents us from bitterness and despondency during the times when our jobs are not going well, even bone, boring, being boring and menial. And um, it, there, it is such a fight. For us to not have anxiety and other temptations to surrender to drudgery. And, wor- and just thinking, if I could just make it to the weekend and not seeing work flourishing. We, we can go think too highly or think too lowly. And the, and the gospel and the redemption that God brings and the faith that we have allows us to fight that fight inwardly. And to not over-identify ourselves in a way that makes us... Um, Tank and spiral, or, or um, think too lofty of ourselves. Then, lastly, just the hope here, and I do have a couple of passages that our faith gives us hope in our work. And if you'll remember last week that um, we looked at in Genesis, that when God made Eden, the garden that was the special place within his creation for him to have the presence of man. It told us that he would, you notice there in verse 8 and 10, that he put him in, verse 15, uh, Genesis 2, he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. That somehow, paradise, Eden, was found in the presence of God while we were working. That's a crazy thought. And what we lost was that present while we were working. But what we learn in numerous passages, I just chose to put Isaiah 60 here is the very thing we lost is the very thing that is coming and will be restored and that we will actually work in heaven and it won't be golf courses only and in, in vacations and beaches because which I, part of me which it was golf courses right but it will actually be work and work in his presence and it'll be a creation brought here to this place and that will be working with him in his presence. And look at Isaiah 60, 10 through 11. This is a little bit snippet of a picture of heaven the prophet gives. For foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I've had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night, and they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. And what that's telling us, just to explain that, is that every nation and person that will be coming to Jerusalem, be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. They will bring with them the the, the distinctions of their cultures and what they can make, whether it was the trees of Tyre or whether it was the, the different things that everybody has in their own nations. They will bring and produce in that wealth of their work, they will bring together to God's people, and they will flourish it. We will flourish with it together. It will actually be within our work that we celebrate and enjoy God. So the hope for us this morning that that what Well, how can that help you in the day in, day out, tomorrow or Tuesday when you wake up and you go to work? Is that you and I can now experience the presence of God. And someday, sometimes the only thing that can get you to the day is that one day I won't wrestle with that and I'll fully feel it. And I will do work and live in this creation in a way that the curse will be finally gone, the weeping will be difficult, and we will produce as we should, and we'll rue this earth, and we'll be bringing the droves in. That's the hope that we have. That's where we're headed. Interestingly enough, in Genesis 3, 15, right in the midst when Jesus, God was cursing work in the fall, we really see the hope of this redemption is put in place. And he told the serpent and the woman in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Who's talking to the serpent here, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right when work has gone sideways and is cursed, God had just instituted the war of the seeds. The seed of the woman, Jesus, will come from it. And this Satan will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And this seed, guess what? He was born just a regular, everyday worker. And that was primarily what he did on this earth. The majority of his life, he worked jobs like you, and like you, not like me. And the thorns and thistles that you and I experienced, he actually took a crown of thorns and he put it on his head. And those thorns went into him. And he bled and he went to a cross, instituted. Isn't that a gracious God that the simultaneously why he cursed the work, he also instituted the very redemption and hope that you and I will have. And he has come. It's not a seed. We've seen that seed. He has come. And so much so that uh, he wants us to eat a meal together all the time to remember that Genesis 3.15 has happened and that we are redeemed. And that redemption, we are, and we are redeeming our work, and one day it will be fully redeemed, our lives and all creation. So, let's pray, Father. Um, when you were, uh, you were in the garden. We're thankful that you had us in mind, that you had a story that would bring us all uh, to this place where we would find ourselves today, and we're thankful that you instituted. started the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And so, God, we, we really need to be reminded of that. We lose sight of it. We lose sight of it for in all areas of our life, from family to our own heart, to the struggles and addictions we have, to the pain and suffering. Even when we do good, we forget you. But especially in work right now, as we're emphasizing that, we're thankful that you've come to make all things new. Would you bring us to this table? in a way that would strengthen your people for the vocations that they have and the calling to also see the gospel go to the nations. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.